You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. you with some stuff that's going on around Oklahoma and then we have some of our own announcements to make. Um, Mandy is not in the studio with me today. (laughs) Mandy is in her home studio and uh, Mandy is doing better. It's up to Mandy on what she wants to tell you guys if anything. I am doing better. I have had some medical emergencies come up that I've had to take immediate care of and so it's put me down a little bit but I am rallying back and I am doing better every day and so hopefully I will be back in the full ball game soon yeah and um I don't know some of you may have seen the announcement that I made when these medical emergencies happened and I kind of said hey guys we're gonna we're gonna take just a little short break um, because I just, I kind of needed a break too. Like I've been going hard since 2019, like literally dropping oh an episode. It, it like for the first three years, it was an episode every single week. And I think I took off maybe like one or two, maybe three months out of all of that. And then we picked up pace and got to doing more stuff in season four and ended up releasing like a bajillion episodes and I don't know if you guys know this but true crime is a very heavy subject so when you're working on it constantly and like Mandy you're also like living it in real life because that's what you teach about (laughs) I don't know maybe just sometimes we need to take a break so um, we're going to make an announcement about that a little bit more a little later. But I did want to let you guys know because there's some like big headline news happening right now in Oklahoma. And it is affecting at least one of our cases that we've already covered. And a lot of people are talking about it. It's been in CNN. It's been in the big headlines. Um, And there are three cases right now, which we're not going to go into super detail. I mean, okay, so let's start with Glossop. That's one of the biggest headlines right now is the Richard Glossop case. Let me just tell you an an overview. Um, Again, not going to go into super detail because it is in so many news stories right now. Briefly, what he was, he was actually convicted. Uh, He was convicted in... A 1997 murder of a Barry Van Treese, who owned a motel in Oklahoma City where Glossop worked as a manager. During his trial, the prosecutors argued that Glossop promised the motel handyman, Justin Sneed, $10,000 to kill Barry Van Treese. Um, So it was like a murder for hire trial, and the other guy, Sneed, eventually pled, um, I think he he ended up pleading guilty to first degree murder uh, under some sort of deal. 
Um, and he, of course, in this deal, he testified against Glossop and was sentenced to life in prison without parole because he beat, beat this man to death, but he testified against Glossop. There's a lot of thing that ha things that happened since the trial. According to like interviews from inmates incarcerated with Sneed, Sneed has said to them many times that he did this alone, that um, Glossop wasn't involved. And then there is the fact that Sneed apparently had a history of mental illness and it wasn't disclosed during the trial. There was a lot that people have been looking at saying that basically Richard Glossop did not get a fair trial. And he actually ended up getting, uh, he, was, he was found guilty and given the death sentence. He was convicted of capital murder in 1998. Um, that decision was overturned in 2001 because of ineffective, ineffective defense counsel. He was reconvicted in 2004, again sentenced to death. And then in 2015, he was granted a stay of execution, um, like very shortly before he was scheduled to be put to death. And it, it, it goes on and on, on and on. He has been rescheduled eight times since 2015. And he was supposed to be put to death May 18th of this year. And he just received a, was it a stay that he just received? He got, um, let me look here. Okay, so the Supreme Court, yes, granted him another stay of execution. We'll just have to see where that goes from there because we have a lot of friends in the industry and we have been hearing that they were gonna hold a protest um, outside of you know where they were executing him at and and all this other stuff and so uh, that is one of the big big headlines right now in Oklahoma is that he was just granted a stay of execution hopefully they will grant him a new trial and hopefully it will be a fair trial that is a lot for him yeah. over all those years yeah a lot on the families and then May 18th, which is only what, two weeks away, he gets another stay. Like that is, that's a lot. So yeah, that is one of the top stories in Oklahoma right now. Another top story. And so another top story is that of Jesse McFadden. Now this one is a little heartbreaking. I personally think that there is a lot more to be looked into I agree. So, long story short, last week or week be week before it was last? last week. So, yeah. So last week, well, how I first heard about this was last week a um, a bolo went out, and we get a lot of you know people sending us bolos and stuff like that, like missing persons and um, Amber Alerts and stuff, so that we can share and help spread awareness. Hey Raven, mm -hmm. should we explain what a bolo is compared to an Amber Alert? Yeah, yeah, you can if you want. So a bolo is different from an Amber Alert because if someone or a teenager, someone runs away, they will usually put a bolo out instead of an Amber Alert. If they are endangered, that's when they put the Amber Alert out. A bolo is usually when they think they just can't find mm -hmm. someone 
And yeah. the the thing is, though, both of those follow you your entire life. Yeah, yeah, but the, don't run away. <laughs> the, yeah, the bolo is usually put out on social media for agencies. Um, they don't like you don't get that amber alert notification on your phone or on social media or whatever. And the police will watch out watch out for that particular car, that mm-hmm. particular child or teenager or adult. They'll watch out for them, and then if and this goes throughout the entire state and so they'll watch out for them and if they're driving or they see them somewhere they will bring them back bring them back home yeah yeah amber alert is a little more uh i'm not gonna say invasive but but it's yeah it's a little more like they feel like that person is actually in danger right that minute so yeah not that you could be with the bolo but they don't that's not an immediate danger right and i think the th- what we received was just a bolo on these two girls, 14 and 16, Ivy Webster, 14, and Brittany Brewer, 16. Uh, and this happened in Henrietta, Oklahoma, which if you remember, Henrietta is where the Shauna Jones case happened. Um, and so they were, they were supposed to spend the night with this family for the weekend, actually. And now I don't know what it was that made someone think that there was something wrong. Um, I haven't really seen that anywhere, but someone thought, hey, they're not where they're supposed to be, so let's put a bolo out. So we got that bolo. Do what? They haven't talked about that. No, they haven't. And that's another reason why we like to wait until these cases are fully investigated and wrapped up. But yeah, so we got that bolo. We posted that on our social media um, because... Well, we have a lot of people that have been following us from Henrietta, from the Shauna Jones case. We thought that we could help out. And it was not maybe, what, five, six hours later. And we got the news that their bodies had been found at a large portion of land with a house on it. Um, They had been shot to death along with five other people. And one of those people was Jesse McFadden. And they believe that Jesse abducted these two girls and eventually shot them, shot his own wife, her teenage children, and then himself. So Holly Guest, 35, married to McFadden, her three kids, Riley, who was 17, Michael, who was 15, and Tiffany, who was 13, all shot to death what we do know is that they were found how the news has been describing it is strung across the property like they were not all in one specific area of this property no they were kind of far away from each other i think a couple of them weren't they yeah and this property i can't remember how big this property is but they've been showing it on the news feeds and it's it's a fairly large portion of land there's a creek that runs through it yeah man i wanted to say somebody said like 40 acres and then i heard 70 acres and it's a very large rural um piece of property like right outside of henrietta we don't know at this point where everyone was found Um, That hasn't been released, whether anyone was in the house or whether they were just all over the property. We just don't know that. Uh, It was just actually just released that they were shot. And some of them were shot multiple times. It's horrific anyway. But the biggest reason why this is so important to the next case, the next thing big news we're going to talk about, is because this man 
was a registered sex offender um, who had been had served like over 10 years, actually I think it was like 17 years or something, for rape, was set to be released, and then he was caught texting an underage girl. And that girl went to authorities, and he was supposed to be in jail and going to trial for that the day after this massacre happened. He was supposed to be going to trial for this. So... Everyone is very upset because he should not have been released. And and that is also my opinion. He should not have been released, especially knowing that the only place he would have to go back to is with his wife, who has three underage children, and he is a registered sex offender. So that is the, the second big news coming out of Oklahoma is that... A lot of people feel like the justice system failed. There was actually a a text message between, I'm not going to say this other girl's name. She's over age now. She's like 23 now, but you know, for her privacy, I'm not, I'm not going to say her name, but um, there was a text message released. Actually, it was a Facebook message where he had found her on Facebook literally right before he did this. And basically blamed her for what he was about to do. Told her that he told her he was not going back to prison. And that basically whatever happens next is her fault. A 23-year-old girl. Whom, by the way, the whole reason why she turned him in, I saw in an interview with her. She said, the only reason that I went to authorities is because I thought that I could prevent him from harming any other underage people, any anyone else. So there's a lot going on in this case. Uh, things just keep being revealed, actually. A family member, I can't remember which family member it was, but they wanted to go and look inside the home. And they actually took a news crew with them. I think it was K4 that they took. And when they were walking through the home, they realized that there was just a bunch of evidence that had not been collected. I mean like laptops, desktops, cell phones, all sorts of stuff that you would think would have been collected and they none of it was collected. Um, the disturbing things that they found in there was a dog collar used for humans, handcuffs, drug paraphernalia, weapons strewn across the laundry room, Um, The house was apparently littered with syringes filled with unknown substances. There were like these like handcuffs, but they were like bolted into the sides of beds. Have you seen those photos? I have. I've seen those photos and it's it's pretty clear that those were there. Right. And like what what was he using them for? That's I think the biggest issue is that these families regardless of if he took his own life at the end they feel like the authorities are just stopping the investigation like he took his life it's done it's over with but these families want to know what happened in there like what was he doing in there what was he doing to them are there other victims out there somewhere who's afraid to come forward why why would you need to handcuff someone to the side of a bed like what was going on in there I've kind of seen too and from a 
from a standpoint of people would say, well, how would he be able to, you know, take over that many people by himself? But if you have restraints and you have, you know, I don't know if they were injected. I'm just saying because there were, you know, different things found. Right. Then that's how you would overpower that many people to right. yourself. And that's one thing that I also I feel like they, the families feel like needs to be investigated. Like, was he drugging people? Had he got them hooked on drugs in order for them to keep coming back to this home? Because um, one of the girls dad I think it was dad or mom one of the girl's parents said like we did not even know he was a registered sex offender we didn't know any of that his uh, McFadden's wife Holly her mother I believe made a statement that said Holly did not even know um, that he was a registered sex offender that he she knew that he had been in prison for rape he had somehow manipulated her and gaslighted her into believing that it was all a misunderstanding that it wasn't a big deal and they had only been married for a year when this you know and then this happens no i did not know that that's really soon so she might have not even known that much about him probably didn't and with him just getting out like not too long ago like she was probably like oh yeah it's just a big misunderstanding no big deal and then the kids were already friends with her kids which you know is why they were hanging out over there and none of them knew any of this and we we have got to stop blaming parents for you know just like in the freeman bible case which is what we're going to talk about next We have got to stop saying, well, why did you let him go over there if you knew that they were into drugs? Why did you let him go over there if you knew he was, um, you know, a pedophile? They didn't know. Do you really think (laughs) that they would let their children over there if that were the case? They didn't know that. So we have got to stop saying... I mean, it, it, it is almost victim blaming in a way because it is, it is, it it's is. victim family, you know, and, yeah. it, and you're basically placing the blame on them when like, how are they su- to, supposed to be omnipotent and know every single thing at all times? Like, no, come on, let's give people a break and grace. Well, and it's, I get it from both standpoints because we're also parents, mm-hmm. but so I completely understand, but at the same time. I mean, I would check. I would. But that's me. I mean, that's not, you know, your average mom or dad. And things can always happen anywhere. And people, a lot of times, that are sex offenders or perpetrators like that, they will go to great lengths to disguise themselves to Mm -hmm. the outer community and act like and just blend in. Because if you don't blend in, it's harder to get your victims. Oh, yeah. So he probably targeted Holly because she had three children who were that age and I mean we just we just don't know anything about that relationship we need to lay the blame on the system who let this man out and run amok that's who we need to be blaming we need some sort of system reform and I'm not getting away from the story in any way shape or form but there's been so much tragedy lately just everywhere mass shootings Mm -hmm. just Galore. We just had one, what, yesterday in Texas? In yeah, in that yes. mall. Where's the end? <laughs> I know. It's it's just, I don't know. It's, people tend to, when you these things happen, they, you know, say, well, it's not going to matter because this is, you know, this is, these horrible things are happening. Like, what can we do? Like, we can't do anything. Mm-hmm. But everyone can do something. Everyone can 
If you see something wrong, tell someone. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, check up on somebody, you know, for someone else, if you have the, you know, means to do that, check on them is what I mean. You know, make sure that you use social media for good and not for bad to help protect people and find people. Social media can be a double-edged sword, but mm-hmm. it can be very, very good to help keep people safe. And, you know, with the access that we have now to the internet and stuff like that, if you feel like you want to start checking in on who your kids are staying with, absolutely. It is so easy to do. You can go to um, OSCN.net. I will tell you, every state is not the same. No, it's not. And this is for Oklahoma, OSCN.net. Um, it, it, is all the court records like you can see anything in there anyone has ever been convicted for even some civil stuff you can look it all up in there okay so there's also a federal inmate locator um you can check warrants just so you know like that is open to the public like check your your city pd's website or your county's website um up here in tulsa it's just cityoftulsa.org and then TPD warrant search you can check warrant search see if anybody has a currently active warrant you can check inmate information anyone who has not been transferred to some sort of prison they're just in a county or city jail you can check information there Um, you can look up uh, sex offenders at now a lot of places have their own list, like TulsaPolice.org has its own sex offenders list. But there is a um, state of Oklahoma sex offenders registry. There's a national registry. And it will tell you where they live. Uh, there's a national one. The national one is www.nsopw.gov. I mean, just type it into Google, sex offender registry. You'll find one, I promise. And you can look up your... Um, your address and see how many people live close to you so that you can keep an eye on that. You can search by name to see if they come up with something. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. You know, if you want to be a little more vigilant, that is definitely a way that you can do so. But listen, we're not saying that everyone has to do that. We're not saying that no, that no. everyone needs to do a, you know, a background check on the people that, you know, they're staying with. Just if you see any red flags, you hear any red flags, you think something so- seems off to you, check into it. You can totally do it all on your own. It doesn't hurt to check someone something out if you feel there's some red flags. Yeah. It's really easy to go in there and just check your address put your address in and see what pops up around you check the address around your child's school and see what pops up around them because man there's like what is it they have to stay 200 feet away from a school okay but 200 feet is not a lot no it's not it's It's, really not it's really not that far so yeah you can check all of that stuff um all on your own, all the information that you want. And a lot, like Mandy was saying, um, there are different different ways of checking stuff for different states, but at least I do know that there is a national sex offender registry that you can check as well. So it's great information, Raven. The next big case that we have we are going to talk about is this is in the headlines it is all over the place here 
this is the one that we have been most involved with because we actually covered this case with Lisa and Lorraine and Jax back in December. And um, there are a lot of these cases that, you know, we don't just talk about and that's it. We're done with them. Like the, a lot of them, we are in contact with the family. We are still trying to help them get things moved along and help them out as much as possible. And we just learned, actually, it happened on the same day as this mass mass killing with McFadden. Um, I got a notice through VineLink that Ronnie Busick was being released from prison. Now, for those of you who don't know, you can always go back and catch up on all of this with our mini-series that I was just talking about that we did back in December. It's called In the Wind. It's a six-part mini-series. We talked to Loreen, which is um, Laura Bible's mother. We talked to Lisa, which is her cousin. We talked to Jax Miller, which wrote the book Hell in the Heartland and spent a lot of time with both of those wonderful women. And we really tried really hard to bring you as much information as we could about that case. Uh, Ronnie Busick was one of three men that were suspects in this case. Ronnie was eventually taken to court for his part in it. And he actually pleaded guilty for accessory to murder. And it was Ashley's parents and presumed Ashley Freeman and Laura Bible. So four people, accessory. He received 10 years with five years of suspended. And then they offered him a deal. They said, we will cut that 10 years in half down to five if you tell us where Ashley Freeman and Laura Bible's body is. That was when he first went in. Now he's being released and we do not have that information. And that is what is so upsetting is that they cut a deal and we're not seeing that deal played out to fruition. He has not given any information. He pled guilty. And the loophole here is that I know you guys hear us talk about a lot this 85% rule with most major crimes in Oklahoma. Uh, accessory to murder actually does not fall under that 85% rule, meaning that most major crimes, they have to, have to, before they can parole, have to fulfill at least 85% of their sentence. This, for some reason, this does not fall under that 85% rule. So they are paroling him for good behavior which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life because he's been in there for like two years and three months, two years and four months, something like that. No information given. We do not know where the girls are. Like, what are we doing here? They were just like, oh, I guess they just, you know, we do know that his health is not great. And I'm starting to wonder if it they just didn't want to care for him anymore. You know, in, in these cases, I feel like they do this because they don't have to look the victim's family in the eye. They don't even have to inform them that he's being released, which is kind of our segue into this next part here is that we had been talking. Well, I was talking to Lisa because I was asking her, OK, what can we do? 
and we kind of decided that we wanted to stage a protest at Ronnie's release. He is supposed to be released on May 19th, which is a Friday. We feel like he will probably be released before noon that day. So we are going to stage a protest there. Um, Lorene's going to be there. Lisa's going to be there. We're going to try to rally as many people so that they can look this guy in the eyeballs when he walks out of that prison and let him know, like, all these people, yeah, we're watching you. And also kind of make a show to the state that, hey, something is wrong here. This system is failing and we need to do better. So it kind of turned into a people like this should not be let out. Why are we letting people like this out of prison? Like, now we're standing for, you know, the victims of of Jesse McFadden as well. Because it's like, when does it stop? He should have been kept in. And if we, like, I understand that this guy, and I don't even care, I'm about to say this. This guy, Ronnie, he's old and he's got really bad health. Uh, it doesn't take much to to use a gun well he's proven he's dangerous and what this shows is is that if your health gets bad we'll just let you out of jail it's fine oh yeah the things that he's accused of doing are horrific yes and horrific we're talking about torturing and kidnapping and and rape and murder we're talking about some really horrible stuff that he was involved with why shouldn't he have to serve his time? Why shouldn't he have to pay the price of what yeah. you've what you've done? Why is he exempt from that because he's in bad health? I don't understand that. There's a really good chance that he was in fact doing some of the things that we are now seeing in the McFadden case. Like the walkthrough and the things that they have in there. Like I just imagine that's what they're their homes look like that that house that they took the girls to looked like i think so that's what i that's what i imagine i i have that trailer and picture completely down to a t imagine to what it looks like on the inside and i i imagine because you know they they think that the girls were kept and tortured and raped and stuff for weeks that is what i picture in my mind And it's not like we haven't seen it before. Um, I have, in fact, seen it before in a case that I talked about in, like, season two, which was the Jeffrey Maxwell case, where, um, and this woman was so, so lucky. If you want to hear that, go back. There's a whole three-part series on Jeffrey Maxwell that you can listen to. But there was actually a survivor in his case. Um, Eventually, a woman named Lois Pearson somehow got free of him she was discovered in his home and things like that were discovered in his home and she had been held for weeks and it was it was just like that he had um handcuffs that were mounted to the walls mounted to the bed that he was keeping her in like it was horrific all of the things that they found in that home we know this stuff happens why would we let someone out who it's not like we said he did it. He admitted to it. He pled guilty. So why are we letting him out of prison? It, it blows my mind. I, I you know, I, I teach victimology and I teach domestic violence and I, but I still, I cannot wrap my head around any justification for that. No. 
no matter how hard I try. No. And so I was talking to Lisa, you know, when I was um, asking her about this protest and, and if that's something that they would be interested in doing, which by the way, we are doing, I won't probably be able to be there, but Mandy's going to be there even though she's hurt. <laughs> She'll be sitting somewhere in a, a chair holding up, <laughs> holding up a sign or something. But um, if you guys want to join this protest, uh, do it for your loved ones, do it for these families, do it for the, the people in the future that this could help. Um, that will be May 19th. We're going to start at 8 a.m. And they're going to just stay out there until he's released, which we believe will be before noon. Um, but you never know. So prepare to be there for the day. And we would absolutely love for you to be out there supporting these families and showing them that you you care and you want to be active about it. Um, but so I was speaking to her and something now granted Mandy and I during our investigation when we when we did the mini series on this um and we were talking to them we learned that they had never had a victim advocate they were assigned one but they didn't know that they were assigned one but no one ever came and talked to them now remember this was back in the 90s and to this day no one has ever spoken to them they actually like so no resources were no resources given to them at all no help no no nothing that a victim advocate is supposed to do and they didn't even know that they had been signed a victim advocate when i was talking to lisa she said oh yes uh so something happened to our last victim advocate that we didn't even know we had because that person had never reached out to us and we were assigned a new one, they still haven't really given them a whole lot of information. Um, as a matter of fact, we were talking about VineLink and because that's how I got the notification that Ronnie was being released from prison was through VineLink. Now, VineLink is an app or a website that for Oklahoma that you can go to and you can put in a name of someone who is in prison and you can put in your um, phone number or your email and be notified if anything ever changes in their case, especially if they're released. It will send you a text or an email that tells you, hey, something's happening with this case. This is what it is. I was, I was actually informed via VineLink that texted my phone and said, Ronnie Busick is scheduled to be released on May 19th. And somewhere in my mind, even though I know that they had never had a victim advocate, somehow, because they have done so much on their own, they literally call themselves the Bible Bureau of Investigation because they've done so much on their own. Somewhere in my mind, I just assumed that they had figured out about VineLink and signed up for it. When I was talking to Lisa, she, Lisa, she said, nope. No one had ever told us about that. We didn't know about that. That is not how they found out about his release. I don't want to say that because I don't, I don't want to give away her sources. But it was someone who told her that he was going to be released. And then the news picked it up. And that's how she learned about it. That's ridiculous. It's We talked about it too because when when that came out, I remember talking to you and saying, well, did the Vine, did the vine tell him when he's going to get out? Told me. And you're like, no, yeah, but and you're like, no, they didn't know. She I mean, never signed it, up for it because no one it, ever told her. And we see that in so many cases. I don't know how many cases 
we've talked to victims' families and we have asked them and they have said no, mm-hmm. never. Every single time. Yep. Of these cold cases. Now, that's not saying the brand new cases. We're talking about cold cases. We're talking about yeah, the cold cases. But it is something that needs so much awareness. It's yeah. been a passion of mine for years, yeah. ever since I started teaching. I've I've been around advocates. They are incredible, wonderful people that do great work, but I'm afraid there's just not enough of them. Right. And I think that's the issue, is that I, I don't know when they started implementing victim advocates um i don't know if they just had maybe like one for like all the 90s or something like i just don't know enough about it what i do know is that these families were not getting the resources that they needed and like you were saying we have never spoken to a single family of a cold case that had said yes we have a victim advocate and yes we got the resources we needed not a single one now mind you we do realize that on some of these cold cases, there was no technology. So things were different. You know, they look different than they do now. Uh, that is something we really, we realize. But there's always been advocates to help people in court, to help people get services, clothing, shelter, mm-hmm. take care of their animals. There are there are places that will take care of your animals for you. There are um, get sh- adequate, adequate shelter, maybe if their house burned down. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of resources that didn't have to be over the internet or social media that they could do over the phone Uh, case managers have been around a long time Mm -hmm. and they they don't haven't always done that on the inner you know had the social media to do that so yeah i think it, it was there before it just looked different yeah but it's just we're not seeing anyone that's even said i even realized it was there but you know if 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 the Bible family had access to that advocate, like they were supposed to, when VineLink was created, they should have called and said, hey, here's this new thing called VineLink. Here's how to use it. Here's how it functions. Like these are things that like, I don't know, these families need these resources. They need to know these things as soon as they can so that they can implement safety for their family because that's the whole reason why VineLink came about is so that you would know immediately when someone's being released that you are afraid of your for your life from. We are failing somehow. I don't know if it's just because we, like you said, lack the funding for it or there's just not enough of them or how these things are implemented. But um, that's another big thing that Mandy and I are working on. So this leads into our big announcement, I guess you could say. (laughs) Um, So we were talking about earlier, this true crime is very heavy. And a lot of people get into it and they do their anthology and they talk about a case and they move on. And a lot of them don't talk to victim family members. A lot of them don't talk to experts or, you know, the investigators who are on these cases. And it's, I think it, that makes it easier for them to just keep going and going and talking about new cases and stuff like that. But with us, it's different. We get as involved as we possibly can, especially with these cold cases. Um, like the Daniel Fur case, the um, Sheila Devaney case, the Shauna Jones case, like the Freeman Bible case. These are cases that we are 
working with the family constantly behind the scenes. Regardless of if we've already done the episode or not, we're still constantly trying to figure out how to help these families. It can get overwhelming, especially when you are putting out content every single week and you are taking on new cases every single week and you get attached to the people in these cases. Um, So with that being said, um, for my mental health anyway, I have decided to kind of back off on releasing so many episodes. Uh, In December, we we released like eight episodes and I just haven't slowed down on releasing since I started this podcast in 2019. And I have made a lot of really great new friends and new sources. I don't know. It's just, I, I love where I'm, where I'm at, where I've gotten to. And so I'm not stopping the podcast. That's not what I'm saying, but I am going to slow it down to where I'm only releasing like one case per month. And that case, it, it might be one episode, but it might be two or three hours long. I don't know, but I want to be able to deep dive on a case and really give all of my focus to it. And then that will allow me to focus on other things, which one of these other things is that Mandy and I are looking into starting an organization, uh, something that is lacking here in Oklahoma, which will be, well, let's just, I'll just tell them what we're looking into doing. Uh, And I think that this will be more fulfilling for me in helping the families. There's only so much you can do as a podcast. You know, you tell the story, you tell the story the way that the family wants it told and heard, and you can keep fighting behind the scenes, but there's still only so much that you can do. Um, You're limited in certain aspects. And so I really think this organization is going to allow me to help more. We haven't even named it yet. <laughs> we're, we haven't even, like, we're just seriously putting into, like, what we want it to do, how we want it to function um, before we get it up and going. And so what we want it to do is, number one, uh, our, our mission statement, I guess you could say, is to help cold cases and victim family members of homicide cases in Oklahoma move forward towards resolution. Now, granted, we're going to have to kind of figure out how to fund this because there's a lot of different portions that we want to do. Number one, we want to help fund DNA testing, whether that includes exhumation and DNA collection and then testing, or whether it's just testing and genetic genealogy. We think that that is so prominent right now. It's so easy to get answers, but the funding is still not there. Um, For a lot of people, it has to come out of their pockets. Some of it is privately funded. And so with that, we just see a lot of cold cases, especially here in Oklahoma, that we think that that's all it needs for a solve. You know, that's something that we want to, um, our organization to do. You know, also publicity. This is something that we've been doing, you know, publicity, uh, podcast episodes, magazines, um, publications to raise awareness. Uh, We want to include flyers or billboards or something with that. Uh, That isn't fully fleshed out, but anything that will help raise an awareness for some of these cold cases that maybe they're not able to fund themselves. There's also the 
thing that we're kind of throwing around here where there is something called the Oklahoma Crime Victims Compensation Act. It helps with when you are a victim family of a, of a crime, a homicide, something like that. This act is supposed to help you somewhat financially with say your grief counseling, um, your mental health bills, stuff like that. The caveat to that act is that you have to file for that before one year is up after the fact. So if someone, if you lose someone in your family, you only have one year to file for that. Again, with the lack of advocates, that is something that a victim advocate should be telling people And because there's a lack of that, there's a lot of people out there that just don't know about that, that they were supposed to have filed for it. And now, you know, their time has expired. Uh, And so we want to kind of allocate some funds um, to distribute to some families that maybe need help paying those grief or mental health bills and just help them out in that way. Um, Another thing, and this is the big one. We hope to provide, through the organization, victim services, (laughs) victim advocates. Uh, Now, this won't be for current homicides, not things that just happened, but for cold cases. We would like to send our own victim advocates out to these cold case families and ask them, you know, who's, do you even know who your current victim advocate is? Do you know how to contact them? Help them get in contact with those people and give them resources that they have never had before. So that's a a big one that we want to do. We also want to do group therapy sessions. Is that something that we have talked about? group therapy sessions for victim families of cold cases. You know, we want to give them a safe space for speaking and help them build a support community of people who understand what they're going through. And I believe Miss Mandy is going to try to lead one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Some other cool stuff that we want to do with the organization. This is something that Mandy and I were talking about because my husband is a paramedic And I come from a first responder family. I was a dispatcher for a long time, as you guys know. Um, But we have been, we have seen a a lack in victim advocacy training within first responders as well. And um, I was talking to my husband. I was talking to some people that he worked with. And I was just asking them the same questions like, hey, what kind of victim advocacy training do you have? And the answer is zero. It is zero, whether it is a trafficking victim or a domestic violence victim or um, a rape victim. They have no training whatsoever on advocating for that patient. And so that's something that we also want to do. We want to provide the training for these first responders from fire to EMS to police to dispatchers on how to speak with these people, how to advocate for what they need, how to give them resources right then and there. What resources can they be giving? So that's another thing we wanted to focus on. So there's a lot of things that we want to focus on and we really feel like putting more effort into an organization will 
at least for me, I think be more, more fulfilling and allow me to help my community a little bit more. So that's what I'm going to be focusing on for a while. Well, we just want everyone to know we really appreciate you listening. And we are so grateful to you, to each one of you. And we are not going away. We're just going into another avenue that we can really feel like we can make a difference. Right. And we'll still be here and you will still see us and hear us. We just won't be doing as many cases at one time right. as before. Yeah. And I my physical health I've got to focus on a little bit. Man, and both of our mental health. I'm telling you, this is a hard it true crime is hard to be in. It is. Because this is real stuff and and it is it is consuming when you're working on a case and you're investigating it yourself and you're going through all these files and the autopsy reports and and talking to family members and talking to the investigators. It's a lot. We'll still be advocating for our cases oh, yeah. that we've always advocated for. Oh, We're not yeah. stepping back from those cases. We're just stepping back with how many new cases we take at a time. Right do still have again like mandy said we do still have things planned we also have something coming up where we talk about ethics and true crime yes that i'm gonna try to release that in may as well we have some guests on on there yes on the episode yep so our big big case in june we're going to be doing with coffee and cases and that one is the springfield three we're actually going to be releasing that one on the anniversary of the girls going missing. So be prepared for that one. Um, and then our big case for July, we are stepping back into the Daniel Fur case in July. That was my very first case I ever covered. And again, some of these cases just stick with you. Some of these cases you're like, well, that case isn't done with me yet. Since I did that episode, the very the very first episode I ever did was Daniel Furt. And since I did that episode, um, you know, I've been in contact with Gail, which is his mother, and Chelsea, his sister. Incredible people. Yes. And they have provided us a lot of information that was severely lacking in my first coverage I'm just going to be honest. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I did not know what I was doing then. <laughs> but now I have a lot more information and I'm actually going to get both of them on the show. And so we're just going to go from there. I think September we're doing the state fair murders because the state fair is a big September thing for Oklahoma. And we'll just see where we go from there. We do actually have an author. Yeah, we do. Come in visit with us and I'm really excited yep. about talking with her yeah so. and, and that's another thing I wanted to just say real quick um we never know when we're gonna have an author on the show like that that's like a spur of the moment either they ask us if they can come on the show or um they friend us for no reason and then like hey would you like to come on the show but we just never know about that so if we do have an author that we want you know to bring on the show that'll be just like bonus episode um it, it's not going to impede our already scheduled monthly episode uh and i believe we are going to have katherine casey on and yes. man she has written a lot of true crime she's a big author yeah yeah she's she's done a lot and she wrote, I don't know if anyone's familiar with, uh, with the killing fields mm -hmm. that is the documentary now. Yeah. The one, and yeah, she was actually on that documentary in Netflix. She was. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, on Netflix. And you can watch that on Netflix if you want to, to kind of prepare. Mm-hmm. But she is on there. She's a fabulous person and does so much in the true crime community for a very long time. Yeah. And so we're very honored. I have added that book along with some of her other books into our Amazon storefront, which is another thing um, that I think a lot of you guys don't know. We just started up an Amazon storefront. I have book recommendations in there. The book recs are from true crime to crime fiction. Most of it is true crime, but there is some crime fiction in there and there is some horror in there as well. So you can go through our Amazon storefront, just go to our website, which is www.thesirenspodcast.com and there will be a link on that homepage that you can go and check out our Amazon storefront. So book recs, I also have some like true crime goodies in there that's just like coffee mugs and cute stuff in there you know it's fun yeah. I love giving that stuff so <laughs> like blankets and you know stuff like that fun. um and I will say a lot of the items that are in there are items that we've actually purchased in real life yes. so yes. <laughs> especially so we know that they're good yes item. um especially my purse I have a purse that looks like a book and it is Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven because of course it is and I get, cool too. I get commented. I literally went to you Gardner's um, yesterday. I went to a used bookstore yesterday and a girl was in there in the um, true crime section. And she was like, oh my gosh, your purse. I was like, I know. Here's where you can get it. <laughs> I've gotten compliments with me before. I know. In that bookstore we were in in, in Springfield. Yeah. I know. Yeah, people love that purse. And so if you want it, it's in the Amazon storefront. Uh, and it, it's not just that one book either. Like, it, they have a bunch of different books, like 1984, stuff like that you can pick from. So it's really cool. So go check out yeah. our storefront. Um, and the storefront, by the way, allows some support um, for us to continue making content because you know we do have a lot of expenses that comes with a podcast (laughs) so if you want to support us there's plenty of ways to do so you can find a support um, tab on our website you can go to the storefront heck you can purchase some of the books we've talked about you know that we've had the authors on the show I have a um, I think I have a pinned post on our Facebook page that you can go through and you can find some of those books or our storefront or other ways to support us we do have a patreon the patreon is really used right now for early releases basically what I do is I schedule our episodes for drop but on the patreon whenever i'm done editing them i just throw them up there so i never know when it's going to go up on the patreon but it will for sure be an early release and it might be like a month earlier than what you'll you know get it anywhere else so we do have a pretty cheap tier we have a three dollar tier if you want to support us that way and just you know hear our content early that's a cool way to do so as well i do want to say thank you guys for listening We have some pretty great followers, some pretty great listeners, and some of you have been listening since day one, Uh, and I I cannot thank you guys enough for doing that, you know, and I hope that you continue to support us on this new journey. (laughs) Hopefully, you'll see us on the podcast and in a new light as Mm -hmm. a, you know, nonprofit organization helping Uh, cold cases yeah and we will let you know as soon as we get it named and up and running (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, we will. <laughs> you have a name. Send it. Yeah, yeah. Please send, name. send in your Email recommendations. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the the next thing you'll see is um, the ethics and true crime. So stay tuned for that, and we will catch you soon. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye. You've reached the end of our episode. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Join Raven next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?